Powered by Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday, potentially Tuesday in your ears. Um, Dan, how was your how was your weekend? Anything fun planned from the past weekend? Oh uh, yeah, great weekend. Thank you for asking. Um, got to got to head over to Elon on Saturday. Yes, I'm, uh, upset eleventh ranked, tenth ranked University of Delaware. So that was fun to see the uh, the old home state school. And then the current state FCS private school um, go at it. Had a little behind the scenes look because obviously I was with an employee of the institution. So it was a lot of fun, man. And then um, got to watch the World Series Friday and Saturday night. And I have no juice. I apologize to everyone now. It's been a long Monday. Um, It's happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, I guess. Are you a big Halloween guy? No. Can't stand yeah, me it. Neither. The only thing that Halloween's <laughs> good neither. for is getting absolutely hammered. I don't know what it is about me, but the like, like I'm telling you, like I Halloween just I never. Whenever I went out on Halloween, I always ended up like on another level. I don't know, man. Really? It, it, yeah, weird, weird stuff. It, it was, was weird. Just every Halloween, it's only. Some may say it was the spirits in the air that convinced you to do that. <laughs> I guess actually, a young twenty-one-year-old cla- Trev. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, well, it would have been my senior year. Um, my one friend dressed up as a ref. So I literally stood on the sidewalk in Scranton, Pennsylvania and took charges from people and he would just blow his whistle. Oh, oh, that's amazing. Absolutely fired up. Yeah. I was in short, short, short jean shorts that I cut like up basically to like as high up as you can go. Just taking charges from people at like one in the morning. What, um, what were you? What was your costume at that time? I probably just some some goofy redneck with short shorts and a cut off flannel. Anything to show off the uh, the quads and the buys? Yeah, is that what we were going yeah. after there? Pretty much. I mean, they, they I, I would probably look better in that outfit right now if I tried to try it on. But yeah, I mean, I guess I was attempting to quote unquote a little bit more beer in my diet back then. Yeah. What you're leaving out of this story is that's the night that uh, you met Danielle. No, we that was <laughs> night, the night we met. It was around Halloween. You're you're not wrong in that in that fact. She actually just showed me videos of. Um, apparently, I had a thing for cleaning when we were out, and I was just like mopping the floor of somebody else's house with a dirty mop water, like just dressed up as a Halloween costume i forget what i was at that point but and i was just like mopping the floor and then there was a next video of me the next night dressed up as something else sweeping the floor in somebody's house that's (laughs) fantastic i was never a halloween never a halloween guy like i don't i think i would like halloween back when i would go out in college i think that was like the weekend off for me because it's like i'm not i don't know why like i just never was like a costume Halloween, it's just never done it for me. I mean, I guess back when I trick-or-treated to get some candy, that was cool. But I'm pretty sure when I was, like, real young, I just went as a pirate every year. So, like, yeah. even then, I wasn't, like, very original. Like, I was just recycling the costume to get candy. So, I I don't, I don't know. I've just never been into it. Um, this is my first time ever living in a neighborhood, though. So, um, thankfully, I have a wife who, like, yeah. understands these things. She got candy. I guess that we'll have to give out. I just hope... <laughs> It's done by eight oh three p.m. I don't want if anyone rings the doorbell be. from eight oh three on, they're not going to get candy. They're going to probably hear Just me talking to the TV. Lights off, yeah. Flick the flick the lights off, and, and that, say, well, that's when we go bowl of candy like on a, on a stool out front. Yes, yeah, so, and the, then the some baseball fourteen year old comes up and and dumps the whole thing in his bag, which so be it. I used to get offended by when I was a kid and would walk up and and you knew some sleazeball did that, but. 
now I'm like, I've, I don't blame him. Get, all right, let me just get my bowl back. That's all I'm going to say at this point. Bad, bad, bad people in every walk of life and anything you do. That's just. <laughs> that's, you're not wrong about that. You're not wrong about that. So before we get talking about holidays and, and our holiday traditions, and as I said in our last episode, we're wasting a December episode talking about our college experiences. You know, now we're. We'll, we'll backload that for the for the off season uh, when we have nothing to talk about. But um, obviously, you mentioned tonight you're going to be watching the World Series game three, uh, game one. Obviously, happened Friday night. Big win for the Phils. Kind of came unexpected. They went down five nothing early. Aaron Nola got clipped twice by Kyle Tucker. The second home run was actually a pretty solid pitch. Kyle Tucker put a good swing on it and. Five nothing lead with Justin Verlander on the mound, and Phillies managed to get their way back in the game pretty quickly too. It wasn't like it, it took a while. It was Justin Verlander blew the lead. His playoff stats or his World Series specific stats, World Series record do not look pretty um, at this point in time. People want to talk about big game pitchers and, and things like that. He's starting to get the moniker of non big game pitcher, um, especially when it comes to world series games and then game two, uh, the Astros rattled Zach Wheeler early. He settled in pretty nicely. I would say, um, he got clipped later in the game and that was pretty much it for him. And the Astros were able to hold. That was pretty much the Framber Valdez show. He was very good. He's been very good and it's just, kind of how the Astros go about their business. So as we look back at game one and two, you know, whether you want to take this from a Phillies fan perspective or just a baseball fan perspective, what were some of the things that, that stood out to you when you watch those games? Do you want me to address Framber first? I mean, I think, it's hot. A, I think it's a non-topic, but I guess we do have to appease, appease the people. But So sure. Yeah. Here's where I'm at with this, and this is going to be probably for you who knows me the the obvious thing that I'm going to say. I have an issue with Astros fans in this situation, and I'm not speaking as a, a, a bitter Phillies fan. Obviously, Framber kept going to his right hand, and he kept rubbing stuff. And then you know we dig up all kinds of videos. Today, I saw a video of someone. It looks like Framber's taking something out of his glove and throwing it as the inning ends before he walks off the mound. Someone was like, anyone who's a baseball person have a, a reasonable justification for this. I don't. I don't know what it was. I don't think there was any cheating going on. I first want to say that's my that's my first standpoint. Me and you have sat here and talked about how good Framber Valdez is for the last month that we've done these shows. So obviously I don't think – I think Framber Valdez was just really good. I think he's really tough to hit. I think he's continuing to do what he's done, like you said, all year. What I have an issue with is all the Astros fans who are so offended by yeah. people questioning it. Because, yeah, like, hey, Astros fans, your team did get caught cheating in 2017. Your team did get exposed for stealing signs using devices. So everyone thinks you guys are cheaters. So when you're yeah. accused of it, like this, if I was an Astros fan, this is why I would have been so devastated when that report came out about the sign stealing thing in 2020, I guess it came out finally. 2019. Cause it was, it was after the altitude, no, 2019, whenever it first it came out for the world, like, wasn't it in that transition between the world series and right. It might've been, world I don't even series. remember I, at this I point thought. because it, because again, I'm past it as a like where I am personally, I'm past yeah. it. But the thing that if I was an Astros fan, I would have been devastated by it because it's like you guys like they really did cheat that time. So now mm -hmm. everyone's not gonna give you any like when Credit. you do well year after year after that. There's gonna be tons of fans who say it's not validated because you guys are cheaters. Anytime something sketchy is going on, now granted, guys are are rubbing their 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 hands and their hair and their ears, Joe Musgrove and whatever a lot. Why didn't Joe Musgrove, why didn't it blow up as much on Twitter when Musgrove got checked and like, Oh, he was cheating. Why aren't there people who were accusing him more because the Padres have never been caught cheating. Yeah. You have like, so yes, it's justified to say, Whoa, what's going on here? What's going on here? Why is he wiping his hand off before he goes and gets checked? What's going on with his right hand? He's very clearly going to it all the time. 
Now, pitchers do that all the time. James Karinchak, I mean, is a wild man on the mound. He's going to his head every two seconds. His hat, his belt, his pants. And like, sometimes that's just like an anxious mm-hmm. reaction, right? In the middle, because pitching can sometimes be, you know, it's a little lonely out there on the mound very... in the middle of the diamond with all eyes on you. And the game doesn't happen until you deliver the ball. So there's a lot of pitchers who do some weird, quirky stuff. I have no problem with Philadelphia fans and other people in the media raising questions about what was going on with Framber Valdez because there's precedent. There's no precedent for any of these other teams, really. There was no precedent for Joe Musgrove and the Padres having cheated and gotten away with it for two years. There's precedent for the Astros having done it. And that's what comes with it. Like, it's like if you are sentenced to murder and you get out of prison, you were convicted of murder. This might be a large leap here because they didn't murder anyone. But if you're convicted of a crime and you get out of prison, Trevor, and then that same crime happens in your neighborhood again, guess what? The police are probably going to come knock on your door and be like, hey, you know anything about this? Where were you that night? You can't sit there and go, well, why are you asking me? Why wouldn't you ask my other neighbors? It's like, well, because you you're you've been convicted of this exact you've been convicted of this exact crime. This crime just happened in your neighborhood. So uh, obviously we're going to come and ask you questions about it because you're a person of interest. Sorry, if you didn't want to be a person of interest in this crime, you shouldn't have done the previous one. And that's why I hate cheating. And that's why to me it was so infuriating, especially when the Astros didn't act like they were sorry. And that was my whole problem when we talked about this three years ago, whenever it was, was the apologies and the remorse and like the MLB didn't really give you a punishment. And so fans for fans to be like, it was five years ago. Oh, you guys are cry babe. It's like, you guys got away scotch-free. 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 And then the thing, the thing that really makes me mad is John Heyman, who's one of the worst baseball writers and analysts in the world. The worst. Like Ben Verlander and John Heyman. Like you want the two people who don't listen to talk about baseball? Like I would I wish BJ Powers wrote more about baseball than Ben Verlander and John Heyman. Because they're clowns. They're absolute clown shows who don't know anything. And I will sit here on our Rinky Dink podcast and have no problem saying that. They're idiots. Okay. And Ben Verlander, I wish my brother was a two time Cy Young, probably a third MVP and someone who's been as great as, as him. Because if my brother had done that, then I'd probably be in the same position Ben Verlander is. And that's the facts. Um, yeah. Ben Verlander adds nothing to the game of baseball, just like John Heyman doesn't. And John Heyman, who's known for constantly all off season and all trade deadline season, tweeting out reports of trades going down when he's just fishing and he has nothing concrete. Um, and so when someone like that then goes in the New York Post and writes an article about how I hope the Philly fans will forgive the Astros for cheating this week when they come to Philadelphia, but they probably won't. And in your article within the first paragraph, you say the Astros, it was five years ago, can't we move on? And then two sentences later, talk about Philly fans who booed Santa Claus in 1968. You're a clown, dude. You are a clown. I hope Philadelphia fans... I, go nuts. Be all over them. And does it need to be about cheating? No. But you should make the environment as uncomfortable as possible. They have every right to do so. And Astros fans who cry, like that environment for game one and two was embarrassing from a playoff base. But like all of you who are getting so upset, uh, upset about your team getting, you know, accused of things when they're, con- you know, it was proven that they were cheaters. Your environment for a World Series game was terrible. I thought I was watching a regular season game a lot of the times. It was, I mean, there was a lot of moments where there's two strikes, two outs, and they're not even standing up. There's just like it. When San Diego is a better environment than you, you're a bad fan base. So I'm just like, that's all I wanted to say. I don't think Framber Valdez was cheating, but I don't think Astros fans are justified in crying to their mommies about being accused of cheating when you're convicted cheaters, when it has been yeah. proven that you guys cheated. And yeah, you should be hoping that you win these next. I mean, and then in game one, Aledemus Diaz leans over the plate and tries to get hit by a pitch that would have given like you guys just you guys are just scummy. You, you It's a scummy organization. It's a scummy team. They have been. They're fantastic. It's great. You talked about it. They're an organization who looks for every competitive advantage. When you brought up the cheating scandal last episode, that's what they do. And that's what they, they continue do. to do. Wear yeah. it. Just like Philly fans wear the fact that, that they're scumbag fans and they 
say thank you, wear it, Astros fans. I'm so like I don't want to hear anyone. I don't want to hear anyone who roots for is associated with Alex Bregman, Justin Verlander, who who rode in on the bus today, flipping off Philly fans. I'm sure when he gets flipped off in Game Five when he's pitching in Philadelphia by Philly fans, it'll be about how bad they are, and no one will remember that Verlander was flipping them off on the bus rolling into the stadium tonight. That's fine. I'm cool with that. Continue to talk bad about Philly fans. But no one within that organization in Houston should cry to their mommies about being accused of cheating. Again, I don't think Framber was doing anything nefarious. Rob Thompson's comments after the game when he was asked about it, he said, yeah, we're aware. He gets checked after every inning. If yep. he was cheating, I'm sure MLB wouldn't handle it. Perfect. Perfect That's answer by do. Rob Thompson. Perfect answer by a manager who's outmanaging the guy in the other dugout, outmanaging the most overrated man, one of the most overrated managers ever in Dusty Baker. I mean, Dusty Baker has been handed time and time again some of the best baseball teams ever assembled, and like, just he, he doesn't really ever do anything with them. And we can argue about that in the offseason if you want when he retires, hopefully. My point being that, like, I'm just – I that made me so mad. The, the thing that makes me so mad is how they continue to cry about being called cheaters when you're proven cheating. Like, don't shoot someone in the face if you don't want to be called a murderer. Yeah. So to sorry to to start off my response. First off, BJ, I know you listen to this. I, I think you'd be a fine baseball writer. I think you'd be a great <laughs> you, baseball writer. BJ. You, you I listen. Do. You listen to us enough to, uh, and you would you would express exactly. You'd be our, better our than John Heyman and Ben Verlander. Be That's John a. Heyman. I'm saying so, you're better than two guys who get paid to do it. I don't want to lose five percent of our fan base. That wasn't a shot. I didn't mean to be taking a shot at BJ. I just needed a name in the moment. I hope you understand that. I'm looking at your brother's uh, name on my screen, so that came up. And secondly, um, you know, like you said, I mean, it's 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 the age old adage. What, what have we been told? You know, since we were kids, you can't trust a cheater, right? Once a cheater, always a cheater. Whatever you want to say, it's um, and. I'd, are the Astros still cheating? No, I have no concrete evidence. Would I be surprised right. if they were still doing things to find a competitive advantage? You're no. funny. You're funny. And I wouldn't be surprised if 25 other MLB teams were doing things sure. to find a competitive advantage. Like like I said in that episode that we did last week, when wins and losses determine whether you have a job the next calendar year, you will – try to skate by if you can without causing issues. The other thing, this is something that MLB guys have talked about again, and I've pointed it out on here. I don't think people pay enough attention to it. There are now two rosin bags, two rosin bags. There used to only be one rosin bag. There's a drying agent and there's a sticky agent. Now, if you combine sweat with the sticky agent, it becomes sticky, very sticky. So now you're at the point where umpires are checking pitchers. They don't know. You could you have sweaty palms with this new rosin that we're putting out there that MLB approves to help guys with grip, right? Because we don't want anybody getting killed by 101. Right. Right. No doubt. Munoz from the Seattle Mariners comes out on the mound and decapitates somebody. And the MLB is facing problems and backlash because they got rid of stick because that was the whole point. There's a lot of hitters that will tell you I'd rather feel state. So things like Vaseline, things like sweat, things like gel combined with that new rosin bag, I don't know exactly what it is, creates – it's not tiger stick. It's not you know all spider the stuff tack. that they were right. – Spider tack that they were using in the – the past, it's not Coca-Cola boiled with pine tar that, trust me, there are MLB organizations that created cough, cough, Houston Astros. You guys started Weird. this problem. Ironic. That create Weird. stickiness, right? And create this ability for pitchers to almost stand out there. Corbin Burns, I'm going to touch my ear. I'm going to go right behind my ear. Lucky, he has, he has nice long hair. He's able to make it look like he's just pulling his ear back. But the combination of sweat, gel, and then you go touch that rosin bag, add a little dirt in there, and who knows? Next thing you know, your spin rates can go up a little bit. So this is all stuff that the MLB understands and is allowing, right? So at that point, we can go into the next step of it is where you complain, Mets fans, about Joe Musgrove 
you want to say Phillies fans in this scenario, anybody who sees this and wants to dissect every inch a pitcher moves, your favorite pitcher is probably doing it too. Oh, without a doubt. And, and again, the, and, my my issue isn't I, again. I didn't really have that much of an issue with spider tech. Obviously, I'm a pitching no. guy. Like, and I've never had like I'm. If someone's trying to like sign stealing is really bad. If you're gonna if what they were doing with the sign stealing things, that is brutal. Something like that. Like Framber still needs to execute. Like yeah. even if he has a little bit of something, like you still got to execute. You still got to pitch. It's way yep. different than knowing what pitch is coming to the plate. So again, I have no issue with it. I agree. Your favorite pitcher is probably doing it yep. too. There's no question about it. There's again, there's stuff that and, these guys are doing all yeah. the time. My issue is you're going to get accused of being a cheater because of the yeah. organization you root for, you play for, and you're associated with, and you can't cry about that. You can't. No, no, and that that's what. It, it's funny because obviously in the in the preview episode we talked a little bit about how you know when you look at the Houston Astros on the surface level there is a lot of good to what they represent right sure the analytics the new age thought the just small market team player development driven all this stuff like that and the stuff you mentioned right there Justin Verlander flicking off Philly fans is why everybody hates you it does and the cheating aside like no you guys play like a bunch of a-holes and you play like you're pompous like you're better than everybody else and sure you are but at the end of the day you only have one world series ring over this course of this span where you guys have been so great you know you should have beat the nationals you were the better team you should have beat the braves and it's just a reminder that hey this is why nobody likes you right because on the surface level i do sit there and i look at what they've created i look at what they've done and i look at all those things and i'm like man i want them to win and then you start acting like fools, you start acting like idiots, and your fan base starts acting like idiots, and it makes everybody go, oh, yeah, I forgot why I hated you guys, right? And that, that's how I feel now. Right. And that's like lean into it. Lean, like Boston, right? Like Boston, I, like, I'm not a fan of Boston sports. I really don't like the New England Patriots. I really don't like the Boston Celtics and the Bruins. But hats off. Because they they lead into it. They're like, yeah, you hate us because we're cocky and we're good. And guess what? Yeah. We're just going to keep winning championships. And that's what their organizations do. That's what Brady always did. That's what the Celtics do. That's what their fans do. And so you got to support it. But like, if you're an Astros fan who, again, like you just said, if this is who you are and this is why people don't like you, you can't then go cry to mommy when people are accusing you of cheating and being mean back. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and Justin Verlander too. From that point, when when you get booed and flipped off and, and on the mound in Philly, you're a joke at at the end of the day. And I know Justin Verlander, you're, you're much better than human being. You your wife is Kate Upton, all the things like that. But you were staked with a five nothing, five nothing lead. I'm right. <laughs> Again, an off-season topic that we can cover. You're staked with a five-nothing lead. You're paid thirty million a year. You're a Hall of Famer. You have an MVP. You have multiple Cy Youngs. You're this great pitcher. You want to shut Philly fans up? You go. You show up to their park up to nothing because all you had to do was do your job and pass the ball to the best bullpen in baseball. So how can you have the Alex Bregman could sit there and middle finger up to all of them because he's the hottest hitter on the planet right now. He's just dominating the game right now. He is the best player on the Houston Astros. He's arguably the best player on the field right now through the first two games of the World Series. He's a lot, you know, like you want to be cocky, go show it, go play. But Justin Verlander, you have no right to do anything because not only have you never been good in the World Series, you are the reason your team lost game one and isn't coming into Philadelphia with a 2 nothing lead, right? Because Fromberg did his job. The Astros lineup tipped the Phillies ace, which we'll get into a baseball topic and I'll kind of, you know, swing it from this question. Five nothing lead on both the Phillies, but top starters, and Justin Verlander, Hall of Famer, Cy Young candidate, MVP winner, is the one that blows the lead, not Framber Valdez, who's making close to the league minimum. So that's again, that's that's what the Astros want to be. What I'll ask you all for that question is: Does it worry you as a Phillies fan that the Houston Astros make Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola look human so easily? 
Yes and no. I mean, I think a little bit of it is um, – I think I would be more worried if they weren't coming back to Philly again. Like, I think that the home field is real, and I think you see that throughout the playoffs. You know, again, I've talked about how I think Philadelphia is a real home field advantage, and it obviously is. They're 21-9 and all-time at Citizens Bank Park in the postseason, which is the best winning percentage of any team in that's played more than 20 games in their home ballpark. So it's legit there, and, and they're a different team there. And I think those guys are different pitchers there as well. And I think that, you know, that being in Houston and when you get to this time of the year, it doesn't, like, come home 1-1 should have been the objective, no matter how you got there. Yeah. Like, sure, Nola didn't look great. A little bit more worrisome that, that Wheeler has to, you know, pitch there again. And um, But I think for me, Zach Wheeler's so good that he will make the necessary adjustments. And when you really look at it, Outside of the two-run homer by Bregman, he got jumped, right? So that's going to be in the back of his mind. He got jumped. He came out. He was middle of the plate the first three batters of that game, and they got him. Um, the juice box helped out a little bit because I don't. I think Jordan got beat on that ball, but it was still middle of the plate, so he was able to muscle it off the you know the short field and left. Whereas you know twenty nine other stadiums, it's twenty eight other stadiums. It's probably an F F seven. But he mm-hmm. got jumped. He was middle of the plate, and I think he would make the necessary adjustment, and he would he would settle. You know, he would do better the next time. So that doesn't worry me. Nola will will get to pitch at home against them, um, and that that's different. Like it's going to be a different game when that happens. I'm not saying I expect him to go seven shutty, but I don't think it's going to be a, a five run deficit when he leads the mound and he only gets you know 13 outs. Um, so I, I'm not that concerned about it. it. It is interesting, and it shows the Astros. But the Astros, again, like the Phillies' bullpen has been tremendous in this series. Yeah. Right? They've gone toe-to-toe with the Astros' bullpen here, and they've outpitched them. The Phillies haven't allowed a run. Their bullpen hasn't allowed a run yet. Um, the Astros' bullpen has allowed now, what, four runs, three runs? Um, so not that the Astros' bullpen is bad by any means, but they've given up three runs all playoffs. They've given up three runs in two games in this series. <clears throat> so you could ask the same question for Astros fans about the bullpen. You know, you have this bullpen that had given up three runs through two rounds. Now they've given up three runs in two games. Are you worried there? They would tell you no, and I don't think they should be, right? Just yeah. like the same reason I'm not worried necessarily from that standpoint. It's going to continue to be about who can who can make the you know the big plays when, it, when those games get late, who can continue to set the tone. And I think for the Astros in game two, it was going to Philly down 2 nothing. I think would have been a, an insurmountable thing. Right, because again, I really do, and I know they're aware of it. They can play it off as much as they want, but it's really hard to win Philly in the in the postseason. They have a real home field advantage all year. They've been better at Citizens Bank Park as a team, and their offense has been. You know, they're averaging seven runs a game in the playoffs at, at home, and I think that's real. So if they had gone home two nothing, so I think there was a. And whereas the Phillies being up one nothing, I think there was less of a sense of urgency. Almost there wasn't that fighting for our lives. There was a we we accomplished our goal. Because every series yeah. when you start out on the road, you say, let's get home 1-1. And they'd done that after they won game one. They knew the worst they could do. So I think when the Astros came out and, and jumped Wheeler, it was a little bit more of that. Wheeler won, was probably looking to settle in in his first World Series start. He was just trying to get ahead. And they came out with a good game plan, and those guys put three good swings on the on the ball. And it should have been a 2 nothing game after the first inning. Reese Hoskins drops a, a like inexcusable drop over at first base almost on a ball that's not that bad of a throw um, from Edmundo Sosa, who I don't even think should have been in the lineup, um, given what Bryson Stott's given you at the plate, just as far as how good of the at-bats it is. But I, I wouldn't say worried, no. Okay. And because the, the reason I think that, too, is is just flat out from my perspective, game three, game four, and game five, I guess more game three and four than five, is where I think the Astros really have an opportunity to flip this series on its head. When you talk about the depth of the Astros and you talk of the lack thereof on the Phillies, especially on the pitching side of things, these next two games, and thankfully, I mean, I think the way the series has lined up in terms of home field advantage actually plays to the Phillies' advantage because they're able to get their lesser, quote-unquote, arms on the mound in Philadelphia and make the Astros have to beat you on your turf, on enemy territory, getting cursed out. You know, Lance McCullers has been there, done that. He's pitched in New York. I know he struggled in his start in New York, but Christian Javier has dominated in New York and just all the things like that. And I guess that's the most comparable thing I could say to Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is next level. I think that stadium, the way it's built, I think it just contains sound so much better. And I know Yankee Stadium's kind of built straight up, almost like a skyscraper 
so sound kind of wraps over top of the field. So it gets very loud. But um, I think in game three and four, like I, I still think, you know, again, now this is on paper. This is not factoring in home field advantage. I don't know how much to factor in there. You know, you come home too well. I think you're still at risk of going, getting to 2-2 with the way games three and four line up, right? When you have Lance McCullers followed by Christian Javier against Noah Syndergaard followed by Ranger Suarez. Ranger Suarez is good. Noah Syndergaard is pitching a big game, but no offense, and I don't think any Philly fan should take offense to this. Christian Javier and Lance McCullers are a little bit better and a little bit more dominant than those guys are capable of being. So, from that perspective, it's it's kind of one of those things where even if they you know did come home too well, I think the Phillies would still be sitting in a position where this is where this series is going to be made, in my opinion. If the Astros are going to win, they're going to dominate in the next two games when they're able to flex their depth and they're able to show that we are deeper. We are deeper in the starting rotation. We are deeper in our bullpen. We don't have to roll guys back out there on short rest out of the bullpen because we have 15 other dudes that can do it. Our lineup's deep. They can wear down any pitcher. We put five on Nola. We put five on Wheeler and we're going to put seven on Syndergaard and we're going to put more on Suarez is kind of their thought process going into these next couple games. So I really think it'll be imperative for the Phillies, especially their offense, to make Lance McCullers' job hard. And once you start to ruffle his feathers a little bit, once you start to rattle him, then the crowd gets involved and then you're in a position where you can hang a quick eight spot. You get Syndergaard out with a lead, you go to your best arms and you can walk out of there feeling very confident very very comfortable that you're going to close that game out, right? So I think that's where tonight and specifically game three and four, where the Phillies really have to find a way for their offense to lay a big number on one of these starting pitchers and try to build a lead early and try to build, extend that lead when they build it to get comfortable and then be able to turn the ball back over in game five to Aaron Nola and be able to say, hey, We got our two arms that we feel are as good as anybody you can throw against us. But where, again, like I said, where the rubber meets the road in this series is going to be that middle, middle 18, right? The three and four before we can get back to the top heaviness of our rotation and allow them to flex their muscles on our turf. Well, and I think the interesting thing talking about tonight that – We'll see as it plays out. MLB never handles anything properly. There's a lot of rain in the forecast in Philly. The tarps mm-hmm. on the field. There's no BP outside. They're, they were meeting again at five. I just looked for an update. I don't have one. The only update I got was from Rom Thompson, who said it's going to rain. Um, <laughs> topper being Topper, uh, man of few words. Uh, they're supposed to make a final decision by 630. But if you talk about that happening, I think that flips the series, tips the scales really towards Philly. Because if you have a rain out tonight, what they're saying the plan is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, travel day, Friday. So now you get Nola, you get Suarez, Nola, and Wheeler all at home. And I think that really makes a huge difference. Now, obviously, that Mm -hmm. means you get Verlander and Valdez earlier, probably back for the Astros, unless they want to mess with things. Dusty Baker, you never know. He probably will just do something to mess it up. just looking at what he's done in the past and even some of his decisions so far through games one and two, but that would really flip it. And I think again, the home field advantage and I don't mean home field advantage necessarily by just the crowd affecting the game. When I talk about it, I mean just how much better the Phillies seem to play at home, right? Even especially defensively, like defensively, you look at the playoff games when they've had defensive hiccups, they've mostly all come on the road. So I just think that that advantage really McCullough still has the advantage I think in game three, if it plays out, but Suarez and, and, and Javier, I think it almost is a wash with the home, home field advantage. Cause I don't think Ranger Suarez gets to do just for how good he is. Um, and he's done it now for, for two years and he's proven it. And I think he's really, um, if he threw harder and struck more people out, I think a lot more people would know his name. And yeah. I think if he continues on the road, he's been in and continues down the road, he's been down and, and puts us up for another year or two, then he'll really become a household name. Cause I really think he's a, He's a really legitimate third starter in Major League Baseball, um, especially with how he handles these situations. He's proven throughout the postseason in the World Series here in the CS and big moments that he's not going to get rattled by much. And him pitching at home, like that's where he and he cruised at home when he pitched against the Padres. And I think he really can keep Astros hitters off balance. And again, the Phillies just they. 
they bop at home, man. They bop. They bop in that ballpark, and they're built for it. And the, as soon as they get a base runner on and that crowd starts going, those guys feed off of it. They have the type of players who feed off that energy. So it's interesting. It, I mean, 1-1 in this series, it's it's a toss-up right now. And I, I think, again, that as crazy as it may sound, especially if it gets rained out tonight, the Phillies have swung the advantage. I didn't think they'd win a game in Houston. And when they went down 5 nothing on Friday night, I thought, well, this is the Astros. Like, this is... This was the test, and they're just a little bit better. And then doing what they've done all postseason, they kept chipping away. Rob Thompson, unbelievable job, man. You want to talk about how a manager can affect the game? Being aggressive and going to his best guy in Alvarado in the fifth when they yep. grabbed the momentum back was huge. Having the goal to go to Ranger Suarez the next time Tucker and Alvarez were coming around in the order, unreal. Unreal, because he knew we have a shot to win this game on the road and it'll swing the series in our favor, and he went and did it. Whereas Dusty Baker, like, how many times are you going to let Montero face the same guys? How many times are you going to, like, you you waited to put in Naris. It worked out because Castellanos was a free swinger. I'm not sure I wouldn't have had him in against Harper in game one. You know, you you threw Luis Garcia in that extra innings game, even though the guy who just set the record for ERA for your club is standing there unused and Ryan Stanek who ended up having to come in and throw in that inning anyway, when you fell behind in the 10th, like, so it's interesting. It's, it, I mean, where this series is at is I don't think you can confidently say, Oh, this team, like, it looks like this team's been better and this team's going to win it. Cause yeah, the Astros jumped out and jumped Nola, but then the Phillies came right back on Verlander and then won it on their bullpen and a couple breaks the other way, the other night. And that's a, you know that's a tie game. Hoskins catches the ball. It's two nothing. Bregman's homers. It's four. Kyle Schwarber hit a, a two run homer about an inch and a half foul in the later innings of that game, and then the very next pitch he flew out to the wall. You you talk about Hoskins catching the ball and then Schwarber's ball getting it out, and you got a four four game, and you're going to extras for the second night in a row. So it's like yes, the Astros did what they needed to in game two, but it wasn't as comfortable as the five nothing lead that they were got out to. If you really look at it was you know yeah and i think i mean kind of to to swing it off of what you just said i mean the fact that the astros have had two five nothing leads and not been able to to kind of comfortably hold off both shows how the phillies have and will continue through the rest of the series to respond to adversity and that's one thing that you can't quantify, right? When you're talking about right. talent, you can't quantify it when you're talking about run probabilities. There's no way to quantify how a team responds to adversity. And from my standpoint, right, as an outsider with no biases on either side, it looks like the Phillies are handling the adversity and the Astros think that they can just roll in and just beat their doors off, which it's like you've again you would think the Houston Astros would have a little bit more perspective on would like learn their lesson yeah like we we thought we were going to skate by the Washington Nationals and we didn't we thought we were going to skate by the Braves and we didn't and time and time again how many times can you make the same mistakes and how many times can you not get up for the most important week of the year before it starts to become an issue that you might think you're invincible and it started like again like Coming into the series, you forget what the Houston Astros represent, and then they start doing the same old stuff that they've done since 2017, 2019, 2021, 2021, and you're just like, God, I remember so much why this team just can drive you up a wall and irritate you because because what they do and how they go about their business. So, you know, and, and I really think, like you said about, you know, kind of talk about Rangers Suarez, it'll be really interesting to see how the rest of the series goes. I mean, the fact that they basically came out and they didn't say it, but they've done it. They're basically using him as Patrick Corbin's Swiss Army knife. Like you're gonna close, you're gonna relieve in game yep. one. You're gonna start in game four. Of course, you'd love, you know, if you had a perfect plan of knowing that it was gonna be one one, you know, and and you could get through game one without using Ranger and start in game three, whatever. But that's not the perfect world we live in. You get him to get 
outs in game one, you bring him back in game four, you get him to give you length in game four, and then he's ready to come back in game six and game seven to be a mismatch for the Tuckers, for the Alvarez's, and to be able to get high leverage out. So, you know, you can kind of sit there and nitpick, you know, you want your, why is Syndergaard pitching game three? And you could complain about those from that perspective. But when you're able to manipulate how you use Ranger Suarez and get big outs in game one and potentially get big outs in game six and seven. That is why the rotation is lining up the way it is. And it's funny because it looks like not that Christian Javier, I don't believe he pitched in game one. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like the reason they're going to him in four as well, because that was the plan, something right. similar to, to kind of use right. in the bullpen in game one to come in and start game four, dominate that and be able to be available in six and seven to provide high leverage out. So it's kind of interesting how those unfold. Now, the fact that Christian Javier wasn't used in game one, then you can make an argument that he should be starting game three because that gets him available potentially for game five might be his third day at that point. If you're talking Monday, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, it could be, well, probably Thursday, but some guys are day two, throw days. Some guys are day three, throw days. So you never know, but he's going to be available quicker. So that's a questionable decision in my mind, but it's not like Lance McCullers is a slouch by any stretch of the imagination. No, but I worry a little bit about McCullers. Just from watching his previous postseason starts, I don't think he's been as sharp as we've seen or the McCullers that we're accustomed to. And it, it, his his breaking stuff hasn't been as good as what you're typically used to when you watch a Lance McCullers start. Um, and now the flip side to that is the, the Phillies really struggle, I think, against curveballs, right? You look at the, yeah. the, the guys who have really beaten the Phillies and been tough on the Phillies has been – guys who can really spin a spin a breaker and they got to max freed he couldn't locate his, his breaking ball right that's a guy who really relies on fastball command and then breaker off of it he couldn't he couldn't locate the curveball and they got to him in the in the ds um and and so you know you look at you darvish's two starts against them he really spins the baseball he had two really good starts to against them in the cs so you kind of wonder here like McCullers is a tough matchup for the Phillies, but I kind of think that he right now, if if the way if his spin looks like it did in New York and it hasn't been on the way, it hasn't been in this postseason, he's liable to get clipped in that stadium against that team in that lineup. So that's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, and I think he's definitely somebody that can be rattled by a, a crowd too. You know, if he does, if he can't spin his breaking ball for strikes, and then which he doesn't use his fastball against lefties at all. He likes to use his cutter. He likes to use his curveball. He likes to use all of his other stuff. So, you know, it's not even necessarily going to be a left-handed hitter like Schwarber, like. Harper, that's going to clip him per se. Um, you know, I feel like you're, you know, you're going to get a fastball and this fastball is in fact hittable. It's very hittable. It, yep. it can, when he locates it well, it does get beaten in the ground more, but you never know if he misses up with that thing and, and somebody gets it in the air and gets it in the jet stream and, and just lets it ride. And, and that park's going to be going nuts. And, and then Lance McCullers going to have to settle in. I feel like all of his big playoff moments have been in minute made. Mm-hmm. That could just be me going straight off the top of the dome and and forgetting the fact that you know he could have had a dominant start somewhere along the way. But if I'm not mistaken, at least from my perspective, it seems like the majority of his you know good playoff moments, the 26 straight breaking balls, all the things like that, um, I believe were mostly in Minute Maid. He seems to be a guy that likes the friendly confines of his home park. He's more comfortable out there. He doesn't have fans coming after him, whatever you want to say. So it'll be interesting to see if he commands that, right? Like I, like you said, it's pretty much just going to come down to the fact of does he command it or does he not? If he commands his breaking ball, if he is able to work his fastball, his cutter, his slider off of that, change up off of that. There's no reason that he shouldn't have success because he's very good, right? Lance McCullers is very good. I just feel like Christian Javier is dominant in stretches and he's dominant against any lineup. It doesn't matter if it was the Dodgers, he was facing his own lineup, the Phillies, anybody in the league. Christian Javier is more likely to dominate a lineup. And that's kind of the point is, you know, 
if Lance McCullers comes in there and he nickels and dimes it and he doesn't come out and attack and gets swings and misses on his breaking balls and guys are picking up on things and guys are having comfortable at bats, it doesn't matter what Christian Javier does. It's here it is, hit it. Guys know what's coming and it's and they see it well. That's the whole thing I feel right. like with guys like Christian Javier. It's like you you know what's coming. You pick it up out of the hand and you're just you're late. You're under it. You can't get on top of it because it's it's the invisible with just late movement up. His slider grows. His curveball is really good. All the stuff that he works off of that is just really dominant. So to me, again, who can neutralize a, a, a home crowd a little bit more? My opinion is the guy who can go out in the first and go, here's 12 pitches, three punchies. And I'm going to go see, oh, put sure. my little jack, put my jacket on and get comfortable because it's going to be a long night for this, for this fan base that's here today. Whereas Lance McCullers, it's probably going to look something like long at bat with Kyle Schwarber. If he gets it out, he runs a sinker over the middle of the plate. Kyle Schwarber barrels it into right field, picks it, gets thrown out at first and the whole dugout's gone. We're going to get to him. Yeah, we're right? on him. Like, yep. I'll take 110 off the bat and, and Jose Altuve picking it in short right and throwing me out at first. And But Christian Javier has the ability to just go, Kyle Schwarber, get on top of this. Harper, here it is. Hoskins, here it is. So I just think in terms of neutralizing a home crowd, it'll be interesting to see how McCullers handles it in comparison to Christian Javier. And it'll be really interesting to see if this game does get called, you know, if it gets postponed here to tomorrow and they're now three, four, five, and those guys can come back that have already thrown for Houston what Dusty Baker eventually does do. I don't know. We'll see. And, and the tough part about that is obviously we could probably sit here and rag on Dusty a little bit, but um, for his, his postseason decisions at times, but you know, I've seen the loyalty thing, whatever you want to call it. I wouldn't be shocked if he went to McCullers, but I guess just in in pre before that decision even has to be made to kind of defend what that decision would be. Christian Javier in a bullpen role could be lethal. Like you're sure, talking but- about three two lead in the bottom of the fifth, and you're turning to Javier and saying, "Go get me twelve outs, and the game's over." I, I can understand if, if there was an arrest day, I'd almost understand that more. But I think with it, with them saying that there would be a travel day on Friday and they would push game seven, six and seven back if necessary. If this thing gets postponed and you don't go to Javier for one of these games, I think that's a really bad mistake. Because like you said, I, I think Javier's I the best match. I think he's a really good matchup against this lineup. I think he's... I think he is their second best starter right now. Him and Framber to me are their two best guys. You know, I, I sat there on Friday night um, and was telling my brother they're going to get to Verlander. Be patient; they'll get to him. They'll get to him. He was throwing hittable pitches; you could see it. And then in the fourth inning, they started to get to him, and, and two innings later, he's blown a five nothing lead. So I just think that if this happens and these games get moved, where for the Phillies, it's like yeah, skip Thor. And go go to your three guys that helps you immensely. If you're Dusty Baker, you almost want to think about holding firm here and and, and or just throwing Javier in Game Three and skipping McCullers. Or I would even maybe I, it's hard to say this, and I can't believe it's going to come out of my mouth, but maybe skip Verlander. I don't know. But to me, yeah, it's like Christian Javier has to pitch. If I'm if I'm in the Astros yeah. dugout and I'm in that clubhouse, yeah. Christian Javier has to has pitch. to pitch. He has to pitch, and, and you're 100% right about that. And I almost think at this point in, when you have these these pressure cooker decisions, right, depth is almost a deterrent, right? Like Because you have to make a hard decision. For Rob Thompson, it's like, thank you, weather. Thank you, Mother Nature, right? right? Because sure. not that we trust Thor. And I bring him in my office, and I tell him I but trust him. I trust him to get big outs. But it's an easy decision. Your whole and what clubhouse are you gonna get knows out it's of him an easy decision. Yeah, nine it's, outs, it's, 10, yeah, nine outs, tonight? two run. He gets now he gives up a two the, run home run. Yep. Now you're somewhere the along the lines, and then right. you're to the bullpen. So Christian or Ranger Suarez can give you 
15 outs comfortably with to only giving up two runs, maybe even less. He can neutralize a lineup like that. I just don't see Thor having the ability with his stuff to do that. I mean, he's he was very good in stretches with the Phillies, but every game he pitched, he gave up runs, right? right. It was just like very good for, for Syndergaard right now at this point in his career is four innings, two, two earned runs, and pass the pass the ball. Right. And five innings, three earned runs. People are, you're happy with that because it's, it's called giving your offense a chance to win you a ball game. Whereas Ranger Suarez, the best of Ranger Suarez right now is six, seven innings, one or no runs. Right. So it's, it's a very easy decision in, in my mind for him. Now for the Astros side of things, it's like, like you said, skip, skip. Verlander, I don't think you can, right? I, yeah. I don't, I don't think you can. I, I don't think you could bring yourself to do that. I don't think it would make sense. I think from a performance standpoint is the only way it might make sense, but I just don't think your clubhouse wants that. I don't think you need Verlander to, to be shot because then he might have to get big outs and, and you're, you're lacking confidence in that moment. So, but when you have the depth that the Houston Astros have, it, it makes that decision a lot harder, right? Like you have to sit there and really evaluate what you're going to do, how it's going to line up and, you could justify using McCullers. You could justify using Javier. You could justify, I mean, it's a point now where with the depth you have, like you said, you could justify skipping Verlander. And it's like the Phillies don't have those choices. Rob Thompson doesn't have those choices. So it's like, thank you very much. Ranger Suarez, here's the ball, go get it. Right. And that's it. It's no second thoughts. The clubhouse is bought in everything of that nature. Now on the Astros side of things, just with the depth and and the whole purposes of that, you know, it'd be, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. So, um, and we've spent a lot of time talking about the pitching side of things, obviously, because this is where the big names are. That's where kind of the games in terms of big names were won and lost. What did you see from just from a Houston Astros perspective? We don't really have to dive. You watched a lot of Phillies baseball from a Houston Astros perspective, lineup wise, that kind of gives you pause, gives you hesitation for what the Phillies are accomplished, or in fact, makes you comfortable. I, I mean, I don't think much has changed from going into the series. When you look at that lineup, it's really good. It's really deep. Um, I think they've done a really good job with Jordan so far. And I mean, throughout the playoffs from a fan perspective, he's been – I know Manny Machado is great, and there definitely was some fear there when Soto and Machado would come to the plate. But from a fear standpoint, like, Jordan walks up to the plate, and it's like the, the scariest it's been throughout the playoffs because you just feel like it's it's impossible to get him out. And I, I think they've done a really good job um, limiting him so far through two games, which isn't easy to say. You know, Tucker had the two big swings on two really bad pitches, and that's what he does. I mean, he, that's what this whole lineup does for the most part. I think when you, I, I would be surprised if we saw Trey Mancini again in this series. He looks a little bit lost. He's, you know, he has had a terrible postseason. He looked lost in game one. That was kind of like the just get Mancini to the plate and things will be okay when, when uh, the Phillies are on the mound. And I think that's where you can win. Like you, you can't let six through nine beat you. Even when Mancini's out of lineup and it's a let him miss Diaz, like that first five is so good that like if Chaz McCormick is adding anything and the Yankees saw this, like you're done. If Martin Maldonado, who one of the biggest jokes outside of Astros fans crying about being called cheaters is Martin Maldonado being nominated for a silver slugger in the American League. I guess the American League had a bunch of catchers who swing wet paper towels. The guy hit 184 with 15 home runs. Give me a break. Um, like what you want him at the plate. Also, he was using an illegal bat in game one. We didn't even cover that. Really? Yeah, he used an illegal bat in game one, and MLB was like, hey, you can't use that in game two. He had a hit in an RBI. What was it? I'm glad the Phillies won the game because then you really would have been hearing some stuff. There's a really terrible rule that the MLB has. It makes no sense to me. It was an Albert Pujols bat that is illegal. The MLB made it illegal after 2010 because the dimensions. But if you played before 2010, you got grandfathered in with that bat, which yeah, also makes that, no sense yeah. to me because it's like it's either illegal or it's not. I don't understand that any way, shape, or form. But whatever, like we're going to act like Martin Maldonado didn't know. And that's the thing. A lot of people are saying, well, he did know because he plays for the Astros, right? Like, again, yeah, that's the perception out there. The precedent is there. You knew. Anyway, like, so when, when Maldonado and those guys get to the plate, the bottom of that order, like you have to capitalize if you're the Phillies. And um, McCormick got on 
his first two times up and and that hurts you because when you spin it over to Altuve and Pena and and those guys um and Gurriel like he's just super aggressive he's way more aggressive than I thought and the Astros got a lot of soft contact hits in the first two games of this series so it'll be interesting to see if that evens out again sometimes I feel like in baseball that's a home field thing like you see a lot more soft hits at home for whatever reason I don't know you saw Castellanos get the the ball off the uh bag in the Padre series at home, you saw Segura kind of flick a ball. That was a huge two-run single against Musgrove. And uh, that stuff typically doesn't happen on the road. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Astros are as good as advertised their lineup for sure. Yeah, I think what makes the the Houston Astros so special is their ability to just constantly pass the bat to the next guy, Right. We talked about that with the Braves. What did we feel like went wrong with the Braves when they played the Phillies? Just the fact that it was like, or not for the Braves, sorry. Really, it was more the Dodgers and what went wrong with the Dodgers when they played the Padres is that group started to press. It's like, oh, Mook's got me. Oh, Mookie gets out. Oh, Freddie's got me. Oh, Freddie gets out. Oh, Justin Turner's got me. Justin Turner gets out. And it just kind of accumulates into an avalanche effect. I think what the Astros have done really well is just understand who's behind them, understand who's around them, and be able to get to the point where they're able to pass the bat, right? They're able to get the next guy up. They're able to do the next thing. They're able to get runners on in front of the guys like Kyle Tucker, in front of the guys like Jordan Alvarez, in front of all those guys. And it just makes hitting that much easier with traffic, with things on, and the big hits come, right? Bregman, it always he never hits solo home runs, it feels like, right? He never hits a double with nobody on it. Kyle Tucker obviously had the solo home run. Then he comes back and hits the big three-run bomb. Jordan Alvarez always seems to hit his home runs with, with runners on base. And it's just the ability to stack good at-bats makes their lineup so good. Like, like you said, I think six through nine, they're very similar to the Phillies in, in the fact that they don't have much back there, right? Those guys bring value in different ways. You would think Trey Mancini would be able to bring a little bit more. I love Trey Mancini. I think he's a great player. I think he's a great human being too. Uh, you know, I want, he's one of the few guys that I would really root for in a world series, obviously with the cancer and everything that he battled through, but he need, he would need to give the Astros a little bit more to be comfortable with what their, what their lineup is able to bring one through nine, right? He would be the kind of the length in their lineup. But pretty much the same thing goes with the Phillies. It's like if you can get anything going six through nine, then flip it to the top of that lineup, you got something working, you got something cooking. And that'll be what'll be interesting to see is I I don't believe Altuve's been, he hasn't really done anything recently. Um, I don't know if he had anything spectacular. The big double against Wheeler. Okay, so he, he finally broke through. I know coming into game two, he was he was definitely scuffling to say the least. And through the Astros series, he, or through the Yankees series, he was not very good. So um, he obviously gives that lineup a different dynamic if he becomes the all-star that he is, right? The silver slugger, the MVP candidate that he's capable of being with Bregman being hot, with Tucker, with Alvarez. You know, we, we've said this story time and time again. That's where this team is able to do their damage. And it, it's so weird because right now I sit here and I talk through it and I look back at what happened in games one and two. And you sit there and it's so impressive what they did to Wheeler and Nola, but it's also like, I'm not that impressed with the lineup. Does that make sense? Do you feel a similar sentiment with, with that is like where I'm like, yeah, like it's very impressive that you knocked out the starters, but I also feel like there's so much left to be desired with that Houston Astros lineup. A little bit. I mean, I just think it's surprising that they haven't been able to tack on. Like they clearly come out with a yes. game plan early and they've executed and then they just kind of disappear after the fourth inning in the first two games. Now, will that continue throughout the series? I don't know. Um, but that's certainly what's happened so far, um, which then leaves you to say that. But it still feels like they're, again, because I guess the you know the reputation and how good these guys are, you feel like at any moment, when those guys come up, they could turn the game on its head. And I don't know how much of it is the Phillies have done a great job and how much of them is them like taking their foot off the gas. Although you would think after game one, they wouldn't. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see 
you know, as this series continues. I mean, obviously, I think there's still a long way to go in this series. The MLB also is now saying they're going to make it. They said they weren't going to make a decision any later than 630. They're now not meeting again until 645 for the weather. So MLB is always handling this spectacularly. Um, if you're Shock. comfortable enough to move the games back, I don't know why you wouldn't. But the rain's going to be bad, that bad. But we'll see. We'll see. And, um, you know, do you, you got any last thoughts before uh, we we give it a give it an end here? You know, I was happy with with the Phillies run up until this point, but um, the Astros are just so unlikable. I really want them to win this series. Yeah, of course, I really wanted them to win before, but just with how unlikable the Astros yeah. and their fans are, it's like, <sighs> please just get it done. I do. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that this morning more from what the the beginning of what you said, not not the unlikable Astros part is. You know, perspective, and this is kind of a call to all fans, right? What Whatever sport fan you're a fan of. Perspective is a very big part of that. Like, obviously, you have expectations. You're sitting here in Game 3 of the World Series. But Phillies fans, you should be extremely proud of what the Phillies have accomplished. And you should enjoy every step of this ride, right? You should enjoy every moment of this World Series run. You should enjoy every pitch. You should enjoy the the losses too, right? Obviously, this weekend, I'm a huge diehard Penn State fan. I texted you after the game, and the first thing I said is college football is so great, right? My perspective coming into the season, I'd be thrilled if Penn State's able to go 10-2, and right, and compete with Ohio State. There were times where I thought they were going to win, and really the, the adrenaline and the feel and the love that was able to come out while watching that game is something that every fan should get to experience and every fan should really enjoy. So for our Phillies fans out there, I know you guys want to win a World Series. I know you guys want to win each and every game. I know you guys want to win each and every pitch. Have fun. Watch the series. Enjoy every moment. Enjoy the highs. Enjoy the lows. And if you don't come out on top because it is a reality of this situation, just enjoy it because this run was so unexpected. If I told you in August of this year that the Phillies were going to be in game three of the World Series, 1-1 with the Astros, and I asked you, would you be happier? Would you be frustrated and nervous about how it's going? You said I'd be thrilled, right? Have that perspective. Enjoy these moments. Enjoy these opportunities that the Phillies have earned and the Phillies have, and I think the rest of the series will be more beneficial to you. I know when you're in the moment, it's a lot harder to say that, but Watching the World Series, that's what it's all about, is the highs and lows, and you're going to remember those moments way more than, obviously, World Series pennants fly forever. But I do think that what makes it so fun is the, the anxiety and adrenaline that comes from watching such high-leverage baseball games. Yeah, and sometimes it, it is important to enjoy the ride, I think. That, that's yeah. like it's so It's so true because – I mean, just speaking, you brought up Penn State, so I'll bring up Georgia. Just like the expectations um, that come after you accomplish something isn't that much fun. Like I haven't enjoyed the Georgia football season nearly as much because it's constantly me getting frustrated about what people are writing about them. Like they're supposed yeah. to be as dominant as they were yeah. last year instead of appreciating this team for what it is because every team's different. So sometimes uh, enjoying the ride is, is much more fun because sometimes afterwards the, the, the way the perception and expectations can change after you accomplish something like I'm sure next year now that people are going to say the Phillies were a World Series team they're going to be expected to win 90 plus games and compete for that division and they just might not who knows and who, right and who knows yeah. if they're going to be it's hard after you play into November we've talked about that so yeah um there there's 100% you know, Braves fans probably feel the same way right yeah yeah. Well, and, and obviously perception's a big thing. I know we've talked about it in past episodes, but you know, the, the perception, like I can tell you, like the struggles make the, the end result so much better. Oh, I was, for sure. I watched every nationals game from 2012 to 2019. I lived and died. I was on reading every article and then they win. And it just like the next year, it just like sucks the life out of you. You're like, man, what are we even playing for? Like, that was so great. Like, and it just, nothing will ever compare to that. Right. And, and it's, it's kind of the same thing that like, if the Phillies win, that would be amazing. But kind of sometimes I don't think people appreciate how much the lows kind of create the euphoria of the highs, right? The, oh, for the sure. struggles of Georgia football for, for how many years under Kirby of what, you know, Devante Smith, the dagger from Tua in overtime. Like how much does people don't realize in 
I mean, because reality is you can never win a national championship. You can never win a World Series. But like that moment right there sets the foundation for the euphoria of the victory when they do win the national championship. Oh, so, for sure. you know, that that's just something to, to keep in mind for, for any fans out there. If you're watching your team, you're getting frustrated. You're getting pissed off. Have perspective of what would your opinion been in August if you – if you knew that this was going to be the end result and also just to enjoy the, enjoy the games, enjoy the anxieties, enjoy the highs, enjoy the lows, because there's nothing that'll compare to, to this moment. And you might not never get it again in your, in the next 10 years. I mean, Philly, Philly fans, you haven't been in the world series in how many years and it came unexpectedly. That's what's made this run so unique and so special. Yeah. And could, last thing, uh, can we just, uh, I just, if anybody has a report, you know, just be thinking about me this week. This is a, a sports week like none other for me. I've got, yeah, World Series games supposed to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to watch, and my favorite team's playing in it. And then it's supposed to be an off day Thursday. And then game six would be Friday. I have to get on a 550 flight to Atlanta, Georgia, and land around 720 at night. Game six of the World Series would be scheduled for 803. And then uh, Georgia, Tennessee in Athens, which Tennessee's the real deal. Georgia's going to have to prove their medal this weekend, I think. Um, and I'll be there. And then I'm on a, I'm on an early morning flight home on Sunday. So this week, it'll be fun to check in with me this time next Monday and see if I'm even alive. Yeah, I was going to say um, that was – you started off a episode a couple weeks ago, basically giving yourself a good old fluff session on, on your sports teams and it's still going pretty good for you. So uh, the Eagles Not are still bad. undefeated. Obviously the Phillies have made it all the way to the world series, which I think at that point in time, you would have been um, pretty surprised by that outlook. Yeah. And also the Georgia Bulldogs are probably the biggest game in college football this year, at least. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head if there was any bigger ones last year. Maybe Michigan, Ohio State Ohio last State year was obviously year. a pretty pretty big deal as the game. But that's going to be something that you're going to be at. I'm assuming we're going to try to get to to our fans on Thursday night before yeah. the, that you depart, and we'll try to get some uh, some some last lasting messages out to our our fans and. You know, you'll enjoy that weekend. It's going to be a big sports week for you, and you should definitely enjoy that because it's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be a great football game. Try to. I don't think I've talked to my wife in like three days, though. Like, there's just too much sports going on. Like, we'll eat dinner together, and then games get on. That's like, see you tomorrow at dinner. No, I haven't talked to my fiance in three months because she's in medical like, school. So. Good boy, that's med school. It's more important than me watching sports. <laughs> you got to be set for so, life when she gets through this. It's worth it. I know it's 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 a couple tough years for for the end result. So um, yeah. enjoy the baseball. Let us know what you think. We'll be coming back to you hopefully Friday morning, and that'll be our last podcast with live baseball coming to you. So we'll have to figure out some off season topics. Like I said to close out the last episode. We are looking to go live on YouTube. If you want to subscribe to our YouTube page, we'd love to get some mailbags and some and some fan interactions in the comment sections with some of you guys that do listen to to it and be able to just talk, right? It'd just be a big group discussion. I think that'd be a lot of fun as we kick off the off season. And whether it's baseball, whether you guys want to ask us about anything college football, we could do 16 hours on college football and, and the state of it right now. So, um, you know, let us know. Like I said, you got the majority of our listeners do know us personally so let's figure out a time that that would work best for most people and and try to set up a, a live stream episode where we can do a lot of mailbag questions and dan you got i know you're leaning in towards the mic you got anything go phil's Go Phils, go dogs, enjoy the week of, of sports. Make sure to like, subscribe, and most importantly, share. Share with five friends. Like I said, we like doing this. We really, really, really like doing this. We're excited for the offseason. We got some big plans in mind. We really think we could we could put together some pretty solid episodes. So the more you share, the easier it becomes for us to make time for this and and really put the effort in that we want to put into it. So Everybody keep Dan in your minds this week as he's out there living our all, all of our dreams and we can all be envious of the opportunities that he has. 
But everybody, make sure you enjoy the week of baseball that we have ahead because it should be a fun one and it'll be the last week we have live baseball for, for a good stretch of time. So we'll see you guys on Thursday.